All right. Well, let me let me give you a little bit of an update about what was going on. Remember I told you before I left for Africa that it was going to go one way if you prayed. It was going to go another way if you didn't. You remember that? Uh, well, here's the deal. I didn't trust you. So I had my intercessor team praying for me the entire time just in case you guys slept on the job. Right. Uh, but here's the deal. I know that you prayed for me, and I know because there were supernatural things that occurred, things that are not normal. They would maybe seem normal to the untrained eye, but I've been around long enough to know these are not normal. So, for example, um, when how many of you grew up and were in the church in the 80s? Raise your hand. Okay, excellent. In the 80s, we were all taught to fear being called to Africa as a missionary. Y'all remember this? That if you were ever in church in the 80s, you were always going, Lord, please, please don't make me go. Oh, no, 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 no. Because every, every testimony was some missionary that was in Africa. Well, here's the funny thing. So God decides to select out and say, hey, you, pastor with an anxiety disorder, how about you go to Africa, which is on the other side of the planet. Um, the idea that I got a chance to go over there, witness it with my daughter, my 16-year-old daughter. Watch that it was her dream since fifth grade to go to Uganda because all the cool older kids went to Uganda uh, when she was little. She had always wanted to do that. The idea that I could get on a plane and fly 17 hours for the first leg and then on over five hours the second leg and have total peace over there to the degree that one night I just woke up and I thought, man, I'm just in my room. Oh, no, I'm in Africa. I had no idea. Right. Um, the fact that I had total peace over never once did I feel in danger, because if you go anywhere, here's the rules on travel. It all depends on who you go with and where you go. Yeah. So, for example, if I told you, hey, we have some visitors coming to Sacramento, all depends on who they know and where they're going. Right. Because every place has good and bad spots. Well, over there, we went with Pastor Steve and our trained team. Never once did I feel uncomfortable. Never once did I feel in danger at all. I was completely at peace all the way through. That is because of the prayers of the saints. Here's the second thing. We took 30 people. When you take 30 different individuals and take them on a long journey, that's just a recipe for disaster, right? I mean, agitations and tiredness and all that stuff. Not one bit of drama. It was incredible. Well, here's what I saw as a leader. And we were together a lot. Sometimes we were separated out. I saw anytime somebody didn't feel great, everyone was gathered around them praying. If somebody had to stay home that day, somebody stayed with them. Everyone had each other's back. We were always saying, listen, you got to go with a buddy. We had a buddy system going. Everybody was together. There was laughing and joking and camaraderie. There was, uh, we put different teams in different rooms so people were matched up very randomly there was partnerships and friendships developed every bit of it was smooth over there we saw things that we may have not seen before i'm going to tell you a story in a moment about the the medical clinic but i i was asked by pastor steve we were doing a nighttime crusade and he said uh there was a guy laying on the ground uh, behind the tents where we were doing the crusade and I had finished preaching then I came back and Pastor Steve said hey can you pray for this guy and it looked like Pastor Steve had to run and do something he's like his legs broken it doesn't fit together and I was like well that's kind of severe right so I lay my hands on him and pray for him and then uh, we said you know he's Uganda I said you know how you doing and he's like awesome and I don't know what that means so I was like all right cool so then we leave well sure enough he's walking around with all the kids right and it's like holy cow that guy's leg is back together that's insane right and so we waved out the window and he's like yeah we're all good right it was awesome this this is the power of god this is because god moved through the prayers of the saints and i want to thank you for your prayer over our team praise god amen good stuff yeah all right, so let me just give you a little, re a little recap because I think it's important. I have known Pastor Steve for 11 years. We've been in partnership with him for probably eight of those in building the school and building all the things over there. Y'all, it's way bigger than I imagined. 
Uh, you can see pictures on, on the computer and go, oh, they're building up that building. You have no idea how massive everything is. It, it basically goes like this. You go to Pastor Steve's compound, right? Now, I call it a compound because it has his house, but then it has dorms and it has teacher areas and it has the little outdoor kitchen and it's all fenced off and kind of walled off for protection of the girls, right? You then walk down the street and you see the brand new high school that they're building. They got the first whole row of classrooms built. They have stuff for the, it's a technical school, so they have stuff for the boys to learn how to be mechanics and a little sewing area for women to learn how to be seamstresses. And there's a bunch of stuff there. They have the lower pitch, which is a, a soccer field and where we played volleyball and did that outreach to the, to the young men and the young women. Then you go up the road and you see the next pitch, which is actually a whole other football field where VBS was. They had these big, massive stages and there was hundreds and hundreds of kids and they're laughing and learning about Jesus and they're dancing and it's going crazy. One day it was bubble day and they're just shooting bubbles everywhere. They're flying the drone in and the kids are chasing the drone. I mean, it was just absolutely incredible. Then you go up further and you look in a, and you see the school, the gates to the school. The school is this massive square complex where you have the whole nurse's station and you have all the teacher's wings and you have the boys' dorms and then you have the girls' dorms and you have the outdoor kitchen and you have all the, the classrooms. And then across the street is what they call baby school. It's the threes, fours, and fives. They have a whole area where they have teachers' quarters and they're taking care of the kids. Next to that is a dorm for the boys that holds 100 boys and they're all in together you guys that is just in togo they also have a school in gomba which is another village over all in all it's 1600 children you guys 1600 children some of them live there some of them walk to school this is where some of them only get their two meals a day that's all they get a scoop of the stuff of beans and rice mixed together kind of looks like blended we would love to offer more as a nutritional supplement, more variety as opposed to the same thing. But to be honest with you, 60% of the kids aren't sponsored. So you go, how in the world are they making it? They're making it do on prayers and stretching a dollar. I'm going to tell you a little story in a moment about stretching a dollar and what it's like. But I need you to understand the power of this ministry because... Quick stat. Y'all know how big Uganda is? Uganda is the size of Oregon, right? So just in your mind, just think about Oregon. You know how many people are in Oregon right now? Four million. You know how many people are in Uganda? Forty-four and a half million. Exact same size of a place, a lot more people. In there, over 50% of the nation is under 15 years old. That's a very, very young nation, y'all. Less than 2% is over 65 your average lifespan in Uganda is 53 years old. So, very, very young nation. You now take 1,600 of those and you teach them about Jesus. You teach them about education. You give them a trade and ability to grow up. You give them a chance at life. You take 1,600, it starts changing an entire region. That is the leaders of tomorrow. They all start rising up. They start leading and doing more ministry. You guys, it's incredible. What Pastor Steve has done, building from the ground up, from the dirt, there was nothing there. I went and visited his home, his first home, when he moved from Kampala with his wife, Rosette. They moved over to Togo Village because he had a vision to bring education to kids who don't get education. I looked at their house. You know what their house was like? It's a dark mud brick eight by eight. No windows. That's it. That's your whole house. There's no other wing, there's no other rooms, there's no other anything. I'm 6'3", I lay down in that sucker, nobody else moves. You understand what I mean? That's his house. And now to be able to see what has happened and how Bridgeway has partnered alongside, now knowing that we go as missionaries all these years later, he has a two-story house where he has all of us stay in there. He has a normal bathroom, right? Which is crazy. When you're over there, you're like, thank Jesus, right? You're, you're so fired up, right? You don't care about anything else. You just care about that toilet right there. there there's, there's 
bunk beds with mattresses on them. We felt spoiled. Their family was cooking for us from morning till night. And you know what? They cooked for, what, there's 30 of us. We put in the family. Let's say there's 40 of us. They cooked three meals a day, huge amounts of food. You know what they cooked it on? The outdoor kitchen. What's the outdoor kitchen? Well, it was three pots, and one of them was over a tire rim that had coals in it burning. That was it. I don't know if you've ever made a party for 40 people every meal and cooked over a tire rim, but that's a lot of work, right? Y'all following me? Spoiling us the entire time. The household has couches around it. We're hanging out, talking about the Lord. When we get up in the morning, we're up there having devotions. There's birds in the trees. At five in the morning, the girls start their, uh, the girls in the dorms start doing their chores. And you know how they do their chores? They sing worship music every morning at five in the morning. Worship music begins to rise from this compound. Everywhere you go, there's dancing. You go in church, it's dancing. You go in the, in the play yard, it's dancing. You go in the school area. We said, all right, girls, uh, we were kind of doing, looking around, checking out the school. And they're like, all right, they've been sitting on wooden desks that have no backs, right? For hours and hours and hours, which is really exhausting. And we said, all right, let's stretch. Dude, it was like being in a musical. Everyone stands up and boom, they all start going in this huge song and dance number. I don't know the dance number. I'm not sure how everyone else knows the dance number, but they're all going for it. It was crazy. And then at VBS, after they're dancing all day long with these kids, they wrap up, send the kids back to the school. And you know what the staff does? Throws a dance party. Boom, the music goes. Hey, everyone's dancing again. I'm like, man. There's a lot of dancing going on. Dancing and singing. You guys, here's the stuff that we did. I got a chance to go over there and preach at Pastor Steve's church. He's come and preached here a number of times. I got a chance to go over there and preach. But while I was there, he wanted to take advantage of that. And so I also ordained 22 of their elders, deacons, and pastors. Made sure to anoint them with oil. Give them the certificate. We went through and did the seal and all that stuff. 22 we did a pastor's conference where some of the guys on my team joined me. They never preached live ever. They're preaching to 200 pastors. Life-changing, powerful stuff. The crusade that we did three nights in a row after we did all this prayer for all this different stuff about healing and we're preaching and it was open-air crusade. Anyone was welcome, all kinds of stuff, right? Just got the response from Pastor Steve. 60 people received Jesus that three days. Praise God. We did a grand opening. That was the big thing that I was coming over for. We did the grand opening, and they said it was going to be big. I had no idea. You guys, the way that the government works, and it's really messed up, okay? Everything about this nation, unfortunately, is that if you know anything about Africa, Africa is a beautiful place. Africa is a resource-rich place. Africa is a place with incredibly intelligent, beautiful, strong people. The only reason they're struggling is corruption. It's got nothing to do with the ability of the land or the people. Let me give you a real quick example why. Here's how rich their soil is. They have two different kinds of soil. They have the stuff they make bricks out of, and they have the stuff that they plant in. You can tell the difference. One's red, one's black. The black soil, here's the story. Um, uh, one of our guys was walking along with one of their leaders one day, and he sees sugarcane. He rips it out of the ground starts cutting off pieces and eating sugarcane, right? And he's handing it to the team as they're walking along down the road. And then they're done with it, and he still has a huge stalk. So he turns around, and he shoves it in the ground and walks away. And they go, what are you doing? He goes, it'll grow. That's it. If your soil is that rich that you can just pick a random place, shove something in the ground, you don't need to water it or anything, that's pretty insane. And it's going to grow. The corruption is insane. So in this place, they have a president. They have local kings, but you don't, you don't even see those. Those are more like royalty. They have a king, and then they have parliament. Uh, excuse me, a president, and then they have parliament. The highest member of parliament is a woman, which is shocking in a nation that does not respect women. So she is the highest legislative official in the entire nation. She came to the grand opening. She comes flying in in a helicopter over everybody, does kind of a flyby, right? Lands at the pitch. They grab the Land Rovers, whoop, whoop, all the security, right? Woo, they come in. They're cutting the ribbon. We're doing all this stuff. And I spoke there. She spoke there. And here's what she said. 
Pastor and Director Stephen Trent, thank you for being a man of your word. Thank you for being a man that does what you say you're going to do. I hear our American friends talk about them investing money into you. And I look around and this is where it went. Thank you for being a good man. I need you to understand that when we went over there and we were part of something, that everything that we've invested into this team, into this ministry, has gone exponentially greater than we could have ever done ourselves. Let me continue to tell you what we did. That we did uh, a young women's conference where women were able to talk about healing from their past, wounds, difficulty, pain, hurt, a lot of broken families, a lot of broken lives. And so for five days, Melissa Reagan and her team they met with these girls in small groups and went through material about healing in Jesus. It was incredible. We did campus beautification for the grand opening. Nikki, uh, uh, one of our ladies and I will say uh, bridge builder age, and uh, she has more energy than all of us. She was in charge of the beautification project of the campus. Here she is in a dress, because women wear dresses or skirts over there, in a dress, laying on the ground, painting curbs, blue and white, painting the entire campus with this whole crew of young Ugandan men, right? So she's just running the entire campus. She was awesome. She just nailed it and got the campus completely ready. The entire place was repainted. All the glass was put into all the windows, and it went on and on and on. We did uh, volleyball ministry so the high schoolers would have time to be able to slow down and ask questions about Jesus. But even more than that, we also did a medical clinic. Eight medical doctors came from local barracks from the military. They're born again. They're believers, and they donated their time. Over seven days, they saw 1,729 patients. That's incredible. They did 13 simple surgeries. And when I say simple surgeries, there's like, oh, there's a tumor. We can get that. Hack. And then they sew it back up. Here's the funny thing. Our team was helping sew it back up. Our team consisted of, what, two of our ladies? One of them happened to be 15 years old. She's in there sewing them back up. They're doing cervical cancer screenings. They were screening for all different kinds of diseases. They were doing counseling over it. They were giving a medicine just to let you know the impact of what was going on. That week, here's what we found out in all of our screenings. 15 of them were positive for hepatitis B. 286 were positive for malaria. 82 were positive for HIV. 11 were positive for cancer. 13 simple surgeries, 160 people were cared for with dental care. This is what was going on. And if you go, man, is that life-changing? Let me tell you one more story. Annika, this young 15-year-old girl, we called her Dr. Annika. She was all part of this team. A desperate mom comes running up, crying, yelling with her baby. Here's this lifeless baby she hands to Annika. Annika holds that baby for the next four hours. This baby was dying of malaria, high fever. Once it gets to that degree, it's very difficult to get it back down. This is not a toddler. This is a baby's baby. Uh, Annika's praying over this baby. They're bringing the team over. They can't get an IV in. They can't get any of the medicine started. They're praying for a miracle. Four hours later, they come in, and I'm teaching the young men, and they said, Pastor Lance, I just want to let you know, fever broke. The baby's fine. Here's the important part. Yeah, praise God. Here's the important part of that story. Pastor Steve, I was sitting with him watching all this go on around us, watching Annika hold the baby outside. And he shook his head, and I said, why'd you shake your head? And he said, you know what happens if that baby goes to the hospital? And I said, what? He said, they'll look at the mom and go, why'd you wait so long? And then they won't treat the baby. They'll let it die. For that baby that day saved its life. That baby is going to grow up knowing that there was a miracle that happened. That baby's going to grow up knowing that some missionaries one time came into town and it changed the course of their life forever. Here's what I'm saying. We went over to Africa and we loved on people. We cared about people. We left a mark that says Jesus cares about you. He sees you. We all know that God's in Africa. God's dwelling richly in Africa. We didn't bring God to Africa. We wouldn't join God in Africa. You understand what I'm saying? 
and in all that power that he was moving in there, little miracles were happening. Y'all remember that we had that coin drive for our kids' VBS? Remember you heard about that? Where all our kids brought in coins and everything, and they filled up jars and stuff during VBS to help launch the VBS over there? Well, sure enough, it was about $2,300, $2,500, remember? That's a lot of coins from all the kids here. Man, you guys have a lot of coins sitting around your house, right? 2300 bucks, 2500 bucks. So sure enough, it paid for the VBS for them, but there was money left over, a lot of money left over because we did it on the cheap. So we said, Pastor Steve, how can this money bless your school? He said, I have an idea. We'd like to get some sewing machines because they have a technical school for women to be seamstresses, but they only have two regular sewing machines and then one that does embroidery. So we said, well, can you, what can you buy with the remaining money here? Which w- the remaining money was significant, it was about two grand. Well, what can you do with two grand? And so we went and looked and we got the report back. He bought 20 sewing machines. It's outfitted the entire place, yeah? Now these sewing machines, they're old school, right? Anybody remember sewing machines that didn't need electricity? All right, now you understand the old singer model, right? You get that sucker moving, woo, and then we, get, we can make some stuff, right? Because there's no electricity that comes into that village. It stops two villages out on both sides. So there's no electricity. Here's the other thing. This is what I want to point out. I want to point out how money is used over there because what $50 is here, very different than what $50 is there. What you think about it, next time you blow 50 bucks on something, which is very easy to do, it goes really far over there. Let me give you an example. The trip cost $3,500 to go. Does that sound steep? Yeah, it sure does. And especially if there's two of you, right? That's seven grand. That sounds like, dang. But I need you to remember, you're going on the other side of the world, right? So here's what $3,500 does on a Ugandan trip. So it got us our flights. I don't know if you looked at flight costs lately, but flights are kind of expensive. So Emirates is a nice uh, company, right? So we flew 17 hours from San Francisco, and I say 17 hours because of the tarmac and all the waiting time. It's actually a 15 and a half hour flight. You fly all the way to Dubai. Now Dubai is a pretty crazy place, yeah? So we fly into Dubai and we stay overnight in a Dubai hotel, super nice hotel. Then you get up in the morning and you fly five hours into Uganda. So the cost of the trip pays for all that and all of our meals there. Well, then when we get there, all the lodging and the housing and the feeding of all the teams, that's all paid from that money as well. Then the beautification project, it bought all the glass for all the entire school to put in their windows. Then it paid for the entire grand opening, which not only brought in the Speaker of Parliament, it had all these huge dance numbers and skits and bring in the, the sound uh, stage. It brings in all these tents. It feeds thousands of people that were there. All of that is included in this. They had a marching band. Check this out. This is such a trip. The marching band, in honor of us, played the American National Anthem. Which just, it was awesome, right? I'm like, wait, are we in Uganda? (laughs) What is going on here, right? And by the way, everything in Uganda is written in English. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. You get off the plane, all their billboards, everything, everything's in English. But they don't speak it, which is super weird. So (laughs) anyway... Uh, Not only that, but the beautification project allowed them to cut down all these trees and move it into a firewood and clear out this area. And they fenced the boys' dorms for security. All that was part of it. They did the grand opening, all of that. And at the end of that, this is still what our money went for. At the end of that, they said, you know what we're going to do with the leftover money? We're going to put up all four walls of the next building for the high school. Listen, I don't know what you do with money, but I can tell you this. They're stretching money way beyond anything that we might imagine. So how are they feeding, clothing, educating 1,600 kids when 60% of them aren't sponsored? Prayer, stretching a dollar. It's crazy, you guys. Hmm. I want you to know that as a family, I have six articles that I'm dropping out on Facebook on my Pastor Lance Hahn Facebook page. We're going to link it through Bridgeway. I did the first article about what's Uganda like. Then we're going to talk about the team, some of these stories. And then I'm going to drop in an article. There's six of them. 
And in those articles, what I need you to hear is that because God partnered us, he has used this church to change lives. All the stuff that you have invested is incredibly used, and it's so good. Please feel proud of the partnership that we have with that pastor and those leadership team. They were so discouraged. I went there just because Pastor Steve was so discouraged. And I went over. They've been doing it for over a decade. And it's tiring to feel like you're out in the middle of nowhere trying to make money stretch. But when we go over there and we say we believe in you, we'd love to love on your children. We'd love to care for your family. That makes a big difference. So be proud. Man, God's doing good things in Uganda. Amen? Amen. Praise God. All right, take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, and we are going to dive into God's Word. We are in a series called Called by God, going through the book of 1 Timothy, line by line. We are in part three that I entitled Purposeful Grace. But before we get into Timothy, I need you to turn with me to Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. As you're turning there, you can just listen to my voice. I'm going to tell you a story that I, I'm, if you've been in church at all, you know this story backwards and forwards. The prodigal son, you've heard this, yeah? As a matter of fact, I remember a number of years ago, I bought a book by Timothy Keller called Prodigal God. And I was like, oh, I wonder what this is all about. And I found out it's about the prodigal son story. And I went, oh, got the wrong book. I've already heard this story a thousand times, right? I know this one. Well, sure enough, like any brilliant pastor, when he starts talking about it, you wonder if you've ever read it in the first place, right? So he began to give some insights. And one of the main insights that he gave was, it's unfortunate we call the story the prodigal son. Jesus didn't call it that. We seem to focus on the younger son, which is interesting because the main character is not the younger son. As a matter of fact, the story is told to Pharisees about the older son, but he's still not the main character. The main character of the story is the dad. The dad is the God figure, the one that extends the grace, the one that does all the extraordinary things. The story is really to bring praise and honor to God. God is the main story. But knowing that, he was talking to Pharisees about the older brother, not the younger brother. We always look at the younger brother and we go, man, what a jerk, right? You know the story. He comes up to his dad one day and he's like, you know what? I'm sick of this whole thing about staying at home. I wish you were dead and I could take half your inheritance. I'd go off and make my own living. Well, sure enough, the dad said, all right, here you go. Cashes out half of his inheritance, handed to his younger son. He goes off into a foreign country, screws around, blows all the money. Ends up with nothing, thinks he has to come home now. Thinks he's going to try to get a job. Well, what happens? He comes walking back up with his head down, and who's waiting for him at the edge of the property? Dad. He goes out every day looking for him. That's God searching for you. He grabs him in a bear hug, welcomes him back home, and throws him a party. Now, it's so important because in that culture, when you treat your father like that, the village is probably not going to let you survive. That kid did not have any right to come back home. But his dad welcomes him in, demonstrates grace, restores him back to full status in the family, and they're throwing a party. Well, who's not at the party? The older son. Why? Because he's super ticked off. He's hanging out somewhere else working in the field going, I'm not going to the party. The dad comes out to him and he said, Where are you, why are you out here? He's like, seriously? That kid's an idiot. He says, I want you dead. And then he screws up. He comes back. You throw him a party. What am I doing? I'm hanging out here every day. I'm working my tail off for you. I never get a party. I mean, all I do is I'm faithful, I'm faithful, I'm faithful. I'm doing all the right things, making all the right decisions. This guy doesn't make one good decision, comes back in, and you throw him a party. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not going. His dad said, maybe you misunderstand. We run this farm together. You always have me. Why would I throw you a random party? No, 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 you don't understand. Your brother was lost, and now he's found. I'm right here with you. But I'm going in the party. You want to be with me? I'm inside. Now, why did he tell that story? Because the Pharisees were sitting back feeling really 
I'm the moral one. I'm the one that does all the right stuff. I'm the religious one. All these other yahoos. You got the prostitutes. You got the tax collectors. You got the sinners. You got all these crazy people out there. They're screwing around, ruining life. And Jesus is having a party with them. He's like, come on in. This is my crew, right? I don't want to hang with your crew. I don't like your crew. I'm the one doing all the moral stuff. They're doing nothing right. So you know what? I don't respect them. I don't love them. I don't care about them. But where is Jesus? He's with them. Where are you not with Jesus? Sometimes we believe that we're so moral and so good that if we need any grace from God, we only need a tiny bit. Here's what I think was so powerful about that book. The book's point was, as much as a young man needed to repent of his bad deeds, the older brother needed to repent of his good deeds because he thought his morality made him honorable to God. You forget that you're a sinner in need of grace. You keep playing this game that, well, I'm a good person. I never murdered anybody. When did that become the standard? Your standard is Jesus Christ. You and I are selfish, nasty people. That's the reality. We make our whole lives about us. We completely remove God from the equation. And we think that we're moral. We think we're good. We're not. Where did the smug self-righteousness come in? And it's so weird. It kind of comes in religiously. It kind of comes in in our society. It kind of comes in in all these areas of superiority. Yeah? I mean, religiously, it looks something like we, we start categorizing people. Talk about us and them. Have you ever done this where you look at celebrities and you're like, man, if God would save them, you know how awesome that would be? I mean, look at their influence. Look at their reach. Look at their voice. Look at their ability to do business. Man, who God should really save is that person right there. Then we'd really get some stuff done. Are you telling me that there's different qualities of people? What about the homeless guy who can't afford his meds? He has mental illness. You know what? He's not going to be a productive member of society ever. He doesn't deserve God's grace. You know who, who should get saved? That guy. Because that's Jesus' people. Y'all following me? And here's the problem with superiority. It creeps into every area of life. You guys, I'm not interested in getting into politics with you. I don't care where your politics are right now quite frankly. I think politics is a bane on the Christian existence. Very frankly, I hate it. But here's the point. I don't care what you thought about all the details and everything going on in Charlottesville. I'm going to be real clear on something. In this house, there is no such thing as racial superiority. You understand? <laughs> the idea that the color of your skin somehow makes you better than someone else is from the pit of hell. There is no way that that is going to be acceptable in God's house. There's no other side. Now, we can debate all day long all the other political matters, right? I mean, we can debate about the economics of things. And we can debate about who's right in this area and who's the instigator here. I mean, we can have all those debates. Those are all rich and those are good. But there's no other side of racism. There's no side that says, yep, Jesus was a Ku Klux Klan member. There's nothing that says that. So here's my point. This is God's house. And in God's house, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter what color you are. Amen? But we, we do this in everything. We do it when we start talking about us and them. We do this when we talk about it, whether it's in political conversations, whether it's in educational conversations, whether it's in your neighborhood of talking about those people are moving in. When you start doing these types of conversations and superiority slips in, the devil's already won. That's what kills me on this. Where did we get the idea that one of us is better than someone else when all of us are made in the image of God? You understand what I'm saying? God breathed his own breath to bring us alive. God shaped us by his own hands. What right does one group have over another group to say, you are not valuable? No, it doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. It doesn't mean that we all see things eye to eye. It doesn't mean all of us are right about everything. 
It just means that we're equal. And we need to remember that. Well, here's how it comes in religiously. I had you turn to Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Take a look at this. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. You know what contempt means? Contempt means you're less than me. That's what contempt means. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like everybody else. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You get the point. Verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast in mourning, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Only sinners receive grace. Only sinners receive grace. You think you're moral? Then I guess Jesus isn't your savior. You think you do everything right? He is not for you. Sorry. Jesus only saves sinners. So if you're not a sinner, then I guess you don't have Jesus. But here's what's intriguing. It's going to take some maturity to be able to balance two thoughts at the same time, which we must as Christians. Two thoughts. One is that we are always sinners in need of grace that at the foot of the cross, that we are not impressed with ourselves, but we're impressed with God. There has to be an understanding. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. He didn't say I used to be the chief of sinners. Y'all following me? It's like after we're saved for a little while, suddenly we think that we're all good now. We are always in need of grace. While at the same time, we have to hold this other truth as well, which is the power of the cross has made us right in the eyes of God, that we have true forgiveness, that we have true grace from God, that he and I are right because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So how do we hold these two truths at the same time? How do we believe, yes, I am a sinner in need of grace, but God has forgiven me and I'm a new creation. How do we hold that? I think the best way to do that is to have humility and be impressed by the one that rescued us. Y'all following me? So this is what we have to get through in our heads so that we don't become the people that think they're better than everyone else. Pick it up in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Let's go through this short passage. We'll just go through it verse by verse. It's a little bit complicated, so I'll try to make it easy in our remaining minutes. Paul said this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. A couple things you might need to see in this right off the bat. Paul loves to use Christ Jesus instead of Jesus Christ. He tends to use that more often. What's interesting is I got this question in Uganda. The boys said, are they the same guy, Jesus Christ and Christ Jesus? Because they have some weird doctrine and theology out there. There's a bunch of people that get some Christian concepts and then they distort it for their own benefit, right? I drove by on Sunday coming through Kampala. There were thousands of people lined up outside this church. The guy, they all had jugs of water. Why? Because the guy sells anointed water and anointed rice. If you have that, then you're going to get all the blessings. Thousands waiting You guys, that kind of distortion, that kind of, to me, it's evil. I don't like it. I don't care if the guy meant well and just is a little distorted in his theology. It bothers me because it's hurting people. But here's the interesting thing. When I look at this, he says, Christ Jesus is my Lord. He's the boss of me. Over there, they said, hey, is the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit the same person? I said, well, yeah, absolutely, of course. They said, oh, Because we were told that the Holy Ghost was bad and they burned all our Bibles. Awesome. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here's what Jesus said, and this is the one that convicts me every time. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I don't think we understand what the word Lord means. Lord means boss, master, but if you're doing your own thing, I'm not your boss. And I look at the sin in my life and I'm going, do I really understand him that he's my boss? Because I'm still making the decisions. Do I still understand him as master? 
man, that's convicting to me every time. But here's what's interesting. He says, God judged me faithful. And you may read that and go, oh, so God saved him because he was a good guy and useful to the kingdom. No, that's not Paul's point. Paul, in this whole letter, is going to be arguing against false teachers. Here's what his point really is. You guys, when God saved me, my life has been living proof ever since that God made me faithful, that I'm legit. These false teachers, they say they had an encounter with Jesus. Look at their lifestyle. They're not faithful at all. But God has proven me faithful, appointing me to his service. Paul never had any idea that it was his idea to follow Jesus. This whole business where you ask somebody, hey, when did you get saved? And they go, well, I found Jesus. What, you found him? Yeah, he's in the dishwasher. Really? That's so weird. Because I heard he was invisible. Uh, So here's the point. You didn't find Jesus. Jesus found you. And the only reason you found him was because he was going, hey, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Look at you trying to get your attention, right? That's how you found him. But what's interesting is notice what he got appointed to. When you get a call from God, what are you appointed to when you become a Christian? Did he say, I got a super cool title? I got famous? What did he say? He appointed me to what? His service. That's all we are. Higher the title, the greater the servant. Yeah? That's how it works. He said, what really blows my mind, verse 13, is I was a blasphemer. You all know what blasphemy is? It's speaking disrespectfully about God because you don't believe he is who he says he is. You're damaging his reputation, you're denying who he is, and you're being careless with your words. You think that you're bigger than God, so you're going to say whatever you want. That's blasphemy. He said, yeah, I was that guy. He said, I was a persecutor. He said, I don't think you understand how much I tried to destroy the church. But even worse, I was an insolent opponent. Y'all know what that word means? Nope. No, you don't. Because I didn't either and had to go look it up. Here's what it is in Greek. I was a violent man, cocky with anger, longing to hurt people because of my arrogant sadism. There you go. Boom. You want to know a little something about Paul? Y'all know his story. Here's what he said. Guys, I don't think you understand. Let me tell you who I was. I was the guy that was a religious zealot. I was so on fire. I thought I had this whole religious thing in the bag, man. I had the corner market on God. Then all of a sudden, you show up. Christian, seriously? This Jesus guy comes in. They're like, oh, he raised from the dead. Whatever. Here's the deal. He's not the Messiah. You know how I know that? Because I know my Old Testament. And I look at the Old Testament, and he doesn't even fit my prophecies. If anyone's going to know, it's going to be the religious leaders of the Jewish people. That's me. He ain't it. So if he ain't it, that means you're all blasphemers. That means you're all running around your little funky cult, and I'm going to shut you down. You do not ever defy my standard. You do not defy the God that I know. Therefore, I'm going to go out of my way to make your life miserable. I know where you live. I'll find out where you live. Not only will I shut you down, I'm going to force you to say you're wrong. And you know what's going to happen? I'm going to go in your house. And you know what? I'm going to take out the men. I'm going to take out the women. I'm going to take out the kids. Why? Because I want to. I hate you people. I don't like anything about you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take it one notch further because I have to. No, I could put you in a prison. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw rocks at you till you die. That's what I think about you. And you know why I'm doing it? Because I feel like it. I hate everything you believe in. That was Saul. He said, and I got saved? Are you kidding me? I've talked with a lot of soldiers in my life. I believe very strongly in soldiers. I believe they do what their country asks them to do. I believe there is honor in that. I have high respect for soldiers. Here's what I found that causes the most pain in their lives. It's not when they did what their country asked them to do, but when they began to internalize the fight and they took it further than they ever should have. And they can't forget that feeling of hatred when they just turn mean. That was Saul. One of the greatest guys in the Bible, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. What happens? They throw rocks at him and he dies. I don't know if you've ever seen a public execution by stoning. I don't know if you've ever even seen it in a movie. It's horrific, you guys. While Stephen is dying, he's saying, God, forgive them. And then his lights go out. 
You know who was there that day? Saul. Didn't want to get his hands dirty. He's like, dude, you guys are never going to get a full throw with your rock if you got your coats on. I'll hold them. That's what he did. And then the Bible goes on to say there arose on that day a great persecution. Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Paul never forgot who he was. He said, I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm the least of all the saints. I'm the foremost of all sinners. You guys don't know my heart. I know my heart. I know who I was. Look at the next line. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. What does that mean? Does that mean he got saved because he was a good guy? No. Jews believe that there's a different classification for intentional versus unintentional sins. But that's not even the whole point. Here's his whole point. God could have just shut me down and wrecked me and put me in the back corner, which is what he should have done, but he didn't. I deserved all kinds of punishment. He gave me grace. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You guys, I got super grace because my sin was so high. Grace jumped right over that. And it covered me and it washed me and it came along with faith where I would stay in there and I'd be a Christian till the end. It gave me all the love because, man, I was such an angry guy. I hated everyone. But then I saw this love come from the Lord that I didn't deserve and I began to understand what love truly meant. And then all of a sudden I became a man that began to love. I don't know how it happened. It wasn't my idea. But that's God. The saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. When Jesus came into this world, he came to save sinners and he did it by breaking the enemy's neck. He did it by defeating death. He did it by setting an example for what we could be if we live victorious with the Holy Spirit. He came here to rescue us. But I receive mercy for this reason. Here's another reason. That in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You guys, if I can get saved, anyone can get saved. Who do you think you are? Do you think you're worse than me? Did you make your whole life about murdering Christians? Because that's what I did. He can save me. He's got more than enough grace for you. You haven't gone too far. Jesus can get you back. He's bigger than your problems. He's bigger than your failures. He's bigger than your mistakes. He's greater than your regret. You don't understand my God. But I'm a living example. He thrust me out front and said, I saved this guy. Do you understand? Everywhere I go now as a Christian... Every retreat I do, every conference I do, I'm looking into the eyes of people who have wrecked their families. And he saved me. He can save you. Nothing can keep you from the love of God. But you don't know me. I don't need to know you. I know God. And I know what he can do. Y'all following me? To that king of the ages, the one immortal, forever reigning, imperishable, invisible, mysterious and grand, the only God that ever was or ever will be, to him be the honor and the respect that he deserves, the glory and the honor of his power forever and ever. prayer team come on up on either side we're going to close this out and I believe that there is one prophetic word for this weekend that I've spoken out in every service I don't know who it's for I think it's for a lot of us but it's the, the message from God that I think that is accurate and appropriate for this time and it's simply this. God is bigger than what you're thinking about right now. Let's pray.
to the magnificent God of all creation. We humble ourselves and we recognize for a moment who you are and who we are. And Lord, we bow down symbolically before you, casting down the crowns that have been given to us by man and say, Lord, we're nothing without you. We need you for everything that is valuable. We need you to rescue us. We need you to save us. We need you to heal us. We need you to transform us. So Holy Spirit, we demand nothing of you. We humbly request that you would do what only you know how to do. We desperately need your presence. We desperately need to feel you, to see you, to know you. And in this campus, anyone that listening to my voice all across this place to the babies in the back, we need you walking our hallways with your power and the fragrance of transformation. God, we need you to heal our marriages. We need you to heal our broken hearts. We need you to wipe away our regret and our shame. We need you to remake our identity. We need you to renew our purpose. We need you to help us overcome our addiction. We need you to break the chains of bondage that has lasted for generations in our family. We need you, God. We need you desperately today because without you, nothing real happens. But with you, all things are possible. Therefore, in this atmosphere of faith, God, we ask that you would move through and begin to do what only you know how to do. Begin to do your healing work. Begin to do your miracles. Begin to do your speaking into our spirits. And anoint this prayer team. That God, that this altar would be a place of healing and comfort, a place of washing and renewal, a place of salvation and freedom. Because of who you are, would you cover us today? Would you bless my friends and family here with me? Shower down your favor. Raise up repentance that we might be the people of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Altar is open. Have a wonderful week.